Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Hey friends, welcome to the Tennis and Bagels podcast. Uh, today's episode is going to be me and Owen. Um, Andre is uh, not available to join us, but he will be back shortly um, for more episodes. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it's been quite a, quite a fun week of clay court tennis with uh, the Madrid Masters and um, a lot of good t- uh, tennis players and uh, results, storylines, and uh, road to Rolling Garros things that uh I'm happy to recap here with Owen. And uh, Owen, how's your week been? It's been okay. It's been a little busy, but I've been able to watch some of the tennis, which I've enjoyed. And yeah, looking forward to breaking it down with you. It's always fun when we do this. So, Yeah, it's always fun. And uh, in, you know, just before we get into the tennis, we do actually have some great news to share with all of our listeners. Um, the new tennis app, TNNS uh, app, which is available on all iOS and Android platforms. Uh, you can download it at the App Store. And um, it, this is a great uh, great way for tennis fans to engage not only with live scores and draws and results and all the different events going on at all levels, whether it be um, ITF, ATP, WTA, Challengers, you name it, but also they promote um, videos and audios and other uh, tennis podcasts. And so uh, courtesy of Andre and um, his um, connections with the tennis developer, we were able to get the Tennis and Wheels podcast on on the app. So if you download that app, you can check us all out there uh, with all the other tennis podcasts. And it was such a big uh, honor for us because um, they're doing such a great job with their app and with the WTA slash ATP app gone. Um, this is now a great way for those of you who are looking for an app to follow scores and, and live tennis. You'll also get that plus much more, including YouTube videos and podcasts like I previously mentioned. So Oh, and what did you think when you heard of this news and saw it? Yeah, I'm really excited to be partnering with TNNS. I downloaded the app at the start of the Madrid Open when the WTA scores briefly disappeared from Google scores so I could follow them that way. And then I saw them pop back up. But then what I then realized about TNNS is that you can get like videos and podcasts and news and scores all in the same place. I'm not sure if there are any other tennis apps that can do that. And it's just a great place because you can watch your highlights while following scores. You can listen to Tennis and Bagels or other great tennis podcasts on there. So it's just a really great platform to get all of your tennis media in the same place. So really excited to be partnering with them. Yeah, I totally agree. It's it's really nice when, you know, one app like that just kind of gets together and puts everything on there for, for fans to uh, engage with. And I believe that also has rankings and also the live race for both the men's and the women's. So it has everything and much more than what a tennis fan is looking for. So uh, encourage all of our listeners to check that out. 
And yeah, with that, let's jump right ahead into the um, into into the tennis. Um, so obviously, this week we had um, Madrid for the ATP and the WTA side. And um, you know, just before we start talking about the men's side, something that uh, we as a podcast have um, decided is that. Um, given what we have learned about um, Alexander Zverev, the winner of Madrid this week, um, six months ago in his um, in his private life and all the accusations um, put forth against him for domestic violence. So we have decided not to amplify his voice um, on here as much as possible. And um, so we, we've, we've decided as a whole that we don't want to, um, you know, give him more of a voice than what is already being given by other tennis media outlets um, out there. And, you know, we will still talk about tactics and, 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 you know, the players in this tournament and all, all the key takeaways, but um, this is how we're going to go forth with it. And we've, we've made that decision. So. Yes, that's exactly it. Zverev has been credibly accused of emotional and physical abuse by Olya Sharapova. And uh, Ben Rothenberg wrote an article on this for racket magazine that you can read. And he may have won this tournament and a lot of people are talking about this accomplishment and his tactics. And we just frankly do not want to contribute to that voice. A bunch of other people have discussed his tactics or what it means for him to win this tournament. So there, if you really want to hear about that, there are several other places where you can check it out. And we respect, we hope you respect our decision not to give him more of a platform than, um, than he has already. So we will, like Vaughn said, we're going to talk about the rest of the tournament. We're going to talk about other players, but we are going to keep mentions of him to a bare, bare minimum. We may not talk about him at all. So thanks. Yeah, very, very, very well said. And obviously, as Owen mentioned, that uh, piece from Ben Rothenberg is is available on Racket Magazine. And, um, you know, definitely great reporting from Ben to just step out of the way and just let Olia speak and give her the voice and platform to share her compelling story with all of us. And so if you haven't checked that out, I, I highly recommend that uh, everybody does so because it adds a lot more context and flavor to what's going on in the tennis world right now. Yep. And it makes you wonder how it's possible that Zverev is able to play without consequences and take part in tournaments, win prize money, and be constantly promoted by a lot of big tennis accounts. So, and uh, so, like I said, we hope you respect our decision and maybe even echo it to um, just not bring him up more than you have to. Yeah, totally, totally agree. And, um, you know, just one more thing for our listeners is also we did a whole episode on the allegations and. Um, and we had Gil Gross on, who who is a great, uh, who has a great show called Monday Match Analysis himself, and we we dove into the specifics of you know how and why um, this has brought been brought upon us by the tennis world, and why the ATP should investigate and come up with a domestic violence policy on this, and uh, just to get more awareness and more traction for that story. So you can check that out if you're more interested on the podcast we did on that. But I think, I guess moving ahead, we can talk about takeaways from this week. Um, you know, it was quite a good week from the finalist, uh, Matteo Berrettini. The finals today, um, given that it's Mother's Day and given how un- uncomfortable we feel about the winner, um, you know, I was really only able to catch uh, the first set uh, of that of that final. But uh, yeah, what, what did you think, Owen? Yeah, I only saw part of the first set as well, but I did see the tiebreak, and he did very well to end up taking that tiebreak. He led 5-0. 
And then when it went back to 6-all on 6-7, I was reminded of the tiebreak he played against Nadal in the first set of the 2019 U.S. Open semi, where he led that 4-0, had two set points at 6-4, and ended up losing at 8-6. But this one he navigated very well once he went down set point and ended up winning at 10-8. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, that's and, correct. Yeah. And he wasn't able to finish the match, but I thought his tactics were pretty good. I thought he attacked really well with the forehand. His slice got him in trouble sometimes, but I do think his topspin backhand is much improved. And if I were him, I would consider going to the topspin more often on the clay because the slice tends to sit off. And if you don't get it far enough to the backhand side or if it lacks bite or um, has too much height, it can be crushed with a forehand. So so if I were him, I would just like lean on that topspin backhand a little bit more. It's improved. It's, it's still not the best, but it's enough to let him hang in rallies. He is a great serve, as we know, good touch, which he's displayed in the past couple of years. And it's really good to see him playing good tennis because after his breakout 2019, he sort of faded into the background a bit in 2020. And this year, I think he's back out in force. He had to pull out of his fourth round with Tsitsipas at the Australian Open. But since then, he's been doing really well. He won Belgrade, uh, beating Karatsev in the final, and he's backed it up with another really good result here. So I think his stock is going up. I think he'll love this middle part of the year because as we're seeing, he can play on clay grass could be his best surface or one of them because he did pretty well on grass in 2019 ended up getting crossed by Federer at Wimbledon but as a whole his season was really good so I think look for Veratini to have some great results in this middle section of the year uh what did you think yeah no that's all that's all very well said I think um I think you, you make a good point about his backhand um, because I think, you know, 2020 was a tough year for Mateo. He struggled, obviously, with injuries. He had um, an ab injury that was really bad and a few others and, you know, the pandemic and, you know, definitely didn't help with with all of that. Um, and so, and I, and I even read some interviews from him um, in 2020 where he was talking about improving the backhand and how much he really wants to work on it and get that. And, it, and, and at least to a point where he's able to, set up his awesome forehand and his forehand is one of the best right now on the tour. He's gets great racket head speed acceleration on that shot. And it's just such a wristy and whippy shot that does so much damage. And just, it jumps, his ball just jumps out on these Madrid high altitude clay courts. And he not only has the, the great forehand, but also the slice. He was doing a really nice job against um, Garin and Rude and players like that who are very adept defensively on clay. And he was able to use that slice to get him in, to get them all in very uncomfortable positions, and then just absolutely crush forehands either inside in or inside out, and you know still trade with them backhand to backhand and find openings. And what I like about him is that he's a really good, he has really good court sense. He knows when his opponent is backed up, and he and he deploys those options very, uh, very smartly and astutely. The way he goes with the drop shots. Um, and the way he disguises them and the way he can kind of bait you by hitting the slice down the line and then forcing his opponent to hit a forehand cross court. And then he can just rip that forehand down the line or he can get back. And actually his movement is a little bit underrated to me on the clay. He looks so comfortable sliding. And I think he's worked on his fitness and, you know, obviously it just seems like his mentality is a lot stronger now. He has that belief in himself that uh, that hunger that hang on you guys forgot about me i'm in the top 10 too you know right uh, I, I made the atp finals and i i reached the semifinals of the us open almost taking the first set from nadal so and i can play on all surfaces i, I i'm good on grass i'm good on clay so i think he's really he, he really showed us uh something this week and 
and he played the eventual winner pretty tough. You know, uh, I think that was the toughest match he had uh, he had all week. So all okay. credit to him. And and next week he's playing in Rome, and uh, and obviously the Italians are doing really well right now with Sinner and um, you know up and, and Fonini is still around and Musetti and so and players like that. So I think uh, yeah, let's hope he just keeps it up, uh, stays injury free because I think if he can if he can do that, he can go far in Roland Garros and also Wimbledon. I totally agree. And when you were talking about his backhand, for some reason, I like this just popped into my head. I think on on the ATP, there aren't a lot of players with two-handed backhands that have great slices, and that makes me think that. And Berrettini does, and that makes me think that if he can develop his topspin backhand some more, that shot mm-hmm. could become a really, really versatile weapon for him. I think there are a couple of keys to a great backhand. I think it has to be consistent enough that you someone can't reliably target it and expect an error. And I think it has to be offensive enough that you can't hit with no pace to that wing and just expect no pace balls back. And so I think if he can get it to the point where it's consistent enough, but also offensive enough to do a little bit damage, and he has the slice option and the drop shot option on top of that, and then you pair that with a massive forehand, he could become an absolute force from the baseline. And so I think the potential for improvement really excites me. And I agree with everything you said. He did make the ATP finals in 2019. And he didn't, I don't think he had a lot of success there. And so I think in a way, mm-hmm. his his prospects going forward are sort of similar to Rublev's. Like very good top player. He's been beating everyone who he's supposed to beat. But look for those top five wins because those are what is going to take him to the next level. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And he's he, he's done a... Uh, you know, a really good job, and he's been you know to beat Casper Ruud six four six four is is not easy because Casper Ruud like him has also had a, a tremendous um, run on clay court Masters mm-hmm. one thousand. That was his third in a row. Yeah, and Ruud never so, had a break point in that match. Yeah, and and you know, so Ruud went from you know I believe in his first four matches he only faced one break point. Yep, and he was beating players like Felix and um uh, Nishioka and then eventually he beat Tsitsipas which was a very very big win and then Alexander Bublik has been playing very well this year and so then and then he came up against Root and he just had a little bit too much for him that was the one of the best performances I've uh I've seen from him because they're both similar in the way that their backhand is not their strength but they both uh, can absolutely accelerate on that forehand wing and and uh, I think Root just doesn't have a big enough serve to hang with uh, to hang with Berrettini. So then that freed up Berrettini a lot on return games, and then he was able to uh, when Root was serving at thirty eight percent in the first set. I think that was the difference in that match. And eventually he just ran out of uh, ran out of steam. I think he's played you know so much tennis, but uh, you know, but just uh, yeah on him. I mean he I looked up his stats and he's seven and ten against uh, top ten players, and so I think that's uh, that's better than I had originally expected, actually. Yeah, and I think he's, uh, and, you know, I think if he puts himself in positions like this, I don't think anybody will, will want to play him, you know, with his, uh, with this kind of game, especially when he has so much time. I think another thing with when he plays against top players who are elite uh, defensively and can, can also, they're, they have backhands of their own that can penetrate through the court, like his opponent did today. And especially the ones up high, especially the taller players, I think. Um, that's where they can they can match him a little bit, and then he sometimes presses a lot on the forehand just because it is such a big weapon that uh, you know at, eventually at some at some points it might also be your your enemy on some big occasions. Yes. But I think as long as he can keep on improving the backhand the way he has been, um, I think that shot can get even even stronger, even better. And I think 
Uh, um, yeah, and I think you know he, if he just wins the serve and return battle, like he's been doing so far in his in his matches, and keeps on winning clinically, I think he's going to be in the conversation for for a while. And I see him kind of as a guy in that you know top six to fifteen range for uh, you know many years as long as he stays healthy. And so, given that, I think he'll have more opportunities, especially in Masters one thousands, when you know let's be honest, he was in the bottom half of the draw, which was much more wide open, yeah, and really opened up for him. And so I think you know, with opportunities like that, he will be climbing up the rankings. I agree. I think he'll be at the upper end of that 6 to 15 range if he keeps playing like he has been. And I agree with you about a huge forehand can sometimes be your enemy because sometimes if you're so used to finishing points with it and you play a really elite defensive player like, say, Djokovic or Nadal, and that shot isn't really reliably finishing points for you, there is a tendency and a temptation to press with it and just go for too much. And I think that he can fall into that trap sometimes. But as he plays more matches and as he plays the top players more, I think that's only going to go away. So yeah, yeah. I'm I'm excited to see what he does in Rome because this was a very encouraging week for him. This might be um, taking a quick detour from the agenda, but since mm-hmm. we were talking about the section of the draw with Rude and Tsitsipas, and Tsitsipas has been having such a good clay court season so far, what did you think yeah. about his week? Uh, should we read into the loss? Does it... Does it sort of bring down his prospects for Rome or Roland Garros, do you think? Mm, yeah, that's a good question. Um, having thought about it, I think actually he didn't look so great to me in his first match against Pear. Um, because I think it was that actually highlighted some of that actually might have um uh made up for some of those uh some of the fatigue and tiredness that he was having because he's played, you know, I mean that Barcelona final that he played with Rafa was brutal to lose it that was. the way he did. And, you know, so eventually I did I did inevitably see some uh, hangover from that and some, uh, you know, may- maybe, I don't know if it was mental scar tissue, but also just physically, I think he's got to be weary. You know, he played yeah. so many matches and won so much in Monte Carlo and, and, and Barcelona and, and, you know, so I don't read too much into this, uh, to be honest, for his, for his prospects. I think they're still very high. He's still the third or fourth favorite at Roland Garros for me. Um, I think, you know, uh, it's a few percentage plays that just decided the match against Rude. It was, it was a competitive match. I thought Rude played some of his best tennis. I have to give mm-hmm. full credit to him. I think Sitsipas just made a few too many errors that he just, you, you wouldn't see from him. A little bit tired, a little bit, you know, kind of um, uh, at times a little bit up and down his play. His play was to me, but, uh, you know, a few too many forehand mistakes, but nothing too concerning. I think this is, this is actually could be a very positive thing for him to have this extra time to just rest and recuperate physically and mentally so that by the time he comes to Rome and Roland Garros and Rome plays much closer to the Paris conditions and he's made semifinals there in 2019. And so I think uh, we'll get on to, his, to the Rome draw in a second. It's, it's quite tough for him, but I still think... Uh, it's uh this is this could actually be a, a good omen for him losing early in Madrid. What do you think? I totally agree with you. I'm glad you brought up how physical the Barcelona final was because it's easy to forget since he had championship point, that was probably the most noticeable aspect of the loss for him, but it was three hours and thirty-eight minutes. It was grueling physically. And um I'm looking at the stat sheet for his loss against Druid. I'm glad you mentioned how competitive it was. And the first thing I noticed was that he didn't have a break point, which isn't ideal. Yeah. But then I noticed how good his numbers were on serve. He won 82% of his first surf points, 75% of his second surf points. And then I noticed that he won as many points as Root in the match. It was 65-65. But, um, but yeah, I think like first set tiebreak and the one time he got broken made the difference in that one. Tsitsipas actually won more receiving points, 18-15. But clearly they were not the receiving points because he never got to break point. And I agree with you that I don't think this is that bad of a loss. It, it was competitive, much closer than the scoreline it would seem. And 
I think, since this is his first quote-unquote bad result of the clay season. And it's not even really a bad loss since Rude has been playing so well. But yeah. it's the first time he hasn't gotten a title or a final. I really don't read too much into it as well. And I think, like you said, Rome plays the closest to Roland Garros. I think it's the most important lead-up mm. tournament for Roland Garros. So I think the extra time could really help him. And if he can bring like fury to that tournament, that could set him up really well for the front. Yeah, I, I I totally agree. And the thing about Sitsipas also is when he's not been when he didn't win, he's only won he's won the Monte Carlo title this year, but he's had seven losses this year and you know, most number of match wins, number one in the race. And I think each time he's lost, he's either lost to the eventual winner or the eventual finalist. Um on six of, of those seven occasions, the only one being the Rude one where he lost, yeah. where Rude got to the semis and lost. So even really that wasn't uh, too too bad of a loss. And obviously Rude has been on a on a great run um as of late so i think yeah i think steph is is in, is actually in a very good good position uh, i um, agree I, I would say and yeah. um and you mentioned a third or fourth favorite so should we talk about the other guy who's probably third or fourth favorite which is a dominic team yeah yeah so for him that was uh that, that was a great story that uh, he was coming back in madrid and i think all of us were really happy to see him back and for him to you know open up about his mental health struggles and and just say that, look, you know, I had a lot of um, time to think about the and process the U.S. Open. And now after I have struggled with my with some, OK, albeit some physical injuries, I've also struggled mentally to figure out where my place lies in the tennis world and what do I want next from this sport? And I think it was quite good to get that insight just as fans and, and people on the outside to to hear that from somebody and open open up about it. And I think he was he was looking at this at Madrid and Rome to really get in a few matches and I think had he not had a good week here, um, it would have been concerning for his Roland Garros uh, prospects because it's uh, now suddenly you're getting closer and closer and then you don't have the match reps you need. But the fact that he was able to get three wins and three very good wins, um, you know, against, uh, albeit his first round wasn't the most difficult against Marcos Giron, but then he had to play against um, Alex Di Menor, who who played uh, who was playing inspiring tennis this week mm-hmm. and so he and and he that was a good context uh contest it was 7664 and he had to save a set point he saved that set point with this glorious backhand winner down the line and loved it so much and then he wins and he, he he gets out of jail there and then he's playing a big server in John Isner who loves the altitude and conditions here and had just beaten Rublev so to to uh, win that one from a set down is not easy and he pulled that off and he got those match reps and then eventually he lost to the winner. Um, and, but still a great week for him uh, overall. And I think uh, he should have a, another great, uh, another chance to get in a few matches in Rome. And then I think uh, he is back in place where he needs to be for the French. What do you think? I totally agree. If you want to read a nice piece on sort of the mental struggles of team and also some of the accomplishments he's had before, you should check out a Scott Barclays piece on team. You can find it on his Twitter profile or on the uh, Beyond the Baseline blog. It's a really nice piece with some lyrical writing about the U.S. Open. And it also talks about how important these mental struggles are. And I agree with you that this was a good week for him. I think it was difficult coming back at this tournament because I think there was a lot of pressure right away. Team has always done well in Madrid. He made the final in 2017, final in 2018, semi in 2019, but he could have or should have pushed that match with Djokovic to three or one. It was a super close match. And so I think with that run of results in the last few years, there's a lot of pressure coming back also since he missed Monte Carlo. This is 
only one of two shots he has at a clay Masters 1000 before Roland Garros. And I think he made the most of it. I mean, he did lose in straights in the semis, but that match against Isner was impressive because I think Isner, from what I heard, Isner was close to peaking for a couple sets. He won the first set. Yeah, I saw some takes on Twitter saying he was playing perfect tennis. And then the second, I think Isner had like four break points in the middle of it, but team saved them off and he and Isner was gassed by the third and team eventually got the break and served it out. And it is just so nice to see him back because the brand of tennis he plays is thrilling to watch. He can cross the ball off of both wings. He hits his one-handed backhand harder than anyone else on tour, I'm pretty sure. And mm-hmm. it, it really didn't seem like he needed long to ease back into form. I don't read too much into his semifinal loss. I think he's only going to get sharper with more matches he plays. So I, I can't wait to see him back in Rome. And I think yeah. it was really nice to see because, like I said, he didn't seem to need much of an adjustment period. So I think he's right back in the mix for the favorites at Roland Garros. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree on that Isner match. Um, you know, I did have a chance to go back and look at extended highlights of it. And, you know, Isner was studying on serve for the first set and a half. He was really, really taking his chances on return games. He was coming in uh, off second serves, taking the ball, taking team's kick serve on the rise. And he was able to break Isner one time. And that was enough in the first set. And he was charging in uh, behind team's second serve and hitting these backhand returns. And then putting pressure by coming to the net, similar to what he did in the tie breaks against Rublev, which was which was effective. And then team had to save four break points in one game mm-hmm. in the um it was at the two all game in the in the second set. He saved those four break points. And once he got out of that game, he then immediately broke as we so often see with the boomerang situation um of breaks. And then after that he was really able to raise his level and eventually was just too much for uh, for Isner from the baseline. And so I think it's really good that he was able to to adapt to um deal with the pressure that was on him uh, with Roland Garros coming around the corner. And also I think he know he has a good sense of where he stands now. And, and I too, like you don't read too much into the semifinal um, loss because he also did have some good moments in that, in that match. He made it competitive at the end in the second set. Yep. And I think he showed flashes of, of the Dominic team of old. And I think, albeit it wasn't his best match, um, I, I, it's unreasonable for him to, for us to have expected him to be fully and completely um, match fit and rearing with plenty of confidence after the two months that he took off. So um, I definitely think good signs for him. And, uh, you know, obviously the favorite at Roland Garros is Nadal, is Nadal and he played a couple of good matches here, um, beating Alcaraz, uh, who then got a cake handed to him right. <laughs> on his 18th birthday. <laughs> which with uh, Feliciano Lopez, a tournament director, and obviously he's coached by Juan Carlos Ferrero and yes. Carlos Moya was there. So that was a, a nice little touch at the end. Although I was a bit, a bit bummed that Sabalenka on her 23rd birthday didn't get, didn't get the same cake, but that's a different Yeah, that, that was very strange. I think they should have. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Inconsistent <laughs> with that. Yeah, but 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 just uh, talking about his tennis, I thought Nadal looked pretty good for the first two matches. Um, he played Alexi Popperin in the in the second match after beating Alcaraz. Um, Popperin obviously had that good win over, over Yannick Sinner. Yep. And uh, I think the altitude and conditions that he he has with the big serve and big forehand also help him. Like, you know, I've, I've noticed with Madrid, just a quick little tangent on that is that we've had results like this before where big servers and uh, dynamic baseliners, uh, players who play love for strike tennis do so well here. Obviously, Isner has done well here in the past uh, multiple times. Kyle Edmund has done well here. Dennis Shapovalov is another player who's made semifinals. Um, obviously, Popperin with this kind of result, he 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 plays a lot like that as well. And and just and Kevin Anderson as well in the semis in 2018. So just you see a pattern of this tournament being a little bit more of an outlier, I think, for Roland Garros with the altitude. And I mean. If you just look at the architecture and area around the place when they show the stadium, it does. Even though it's an you know outdoor court, I think uh, a lot of other factors are kind of eliminated, like with the uh, with extra wind and sun and things like that. I think uh, a lot of the stadium is actually closed off a little bit, yeah. So it does feel a little bit more like an in- indoor type uh, vibe. And some players have commented about how they could they could actually hear the ball coming off their strings a little differently with an echo. And so I so it just makes me think like it's a. It's a clay court and with the high altitude and uh, and high bounce, but it's but it also favors a, a more different type of players that tend to do well in more indoor conditions. So yes, I totally yeah, agree. Yeah. I think I think everything you said was right, and I also think this would be a great place to watch tennis because the acoustics sound really fun. Uh, <laughs> it being enclosed sounds nice, and it has an amazing yeah. name, the uh, Caja Magica Magic Box, which I think yeah. is such a cool name for a court. And I agree with you on Nadal's tennis. I think his semi her quarterfinal actually was um it was a pretty uninspiring performance he yeah he was up four two and served and he made a bunch of weird played a bunch of weird points in that game i think he mm-hmm. dumped a really short forehand into the net on the first point and then at 30 all and 30 40 he made forehand net approaches neither one of them was very good and he got passed both times and after that he really didn't put up much of a fight for the rest of the match saved a break point at one all mm-hmm. at the start of the second but really couldn't do much on the return. And um, and I wrote a thread on this on Twitter. I still think he's the favorite at Rome. I still think he's the favorite at Roland Garros. And yeah. like you said, the conditions play really differently from Paris. But I think if you really want to draw a conclusion from this match, I think you can say maybe the days of Nadal's really dominant clay court seasons, like 2017, 2018, 2012, are gone. And you can yeah. expect him to have more losses like this. And he's not going to win every lead-up event. He might lose twice or three times instead of once or no times. But that dominance at the French Open is still not under threat yet. So I think um, Nadal's still the number one favorite, as always. Um, yeah, that, and that's pretty much it, really. Yeah, the fact that I have to reiterate this on every podcast is just I know. It, it just just to tell you that I mean that fifteen years of evidence, and I've looked at every uh, run that Rafa has had re- leading up to Roland Garros and Roland Garros itself from two thousand five. Yeah, and you know, I mean, he traditionally plays five tournaments with three Masters and the Barcelona and then the the French, and you know, very very few times has he actually won everything leading in and so right. and and you know um his best was 2010 when he won the three masters and obviously they didn't he didn't play barcelona that year but you know it's 
it's just unreasonable to expect a 35 year old not to have some dips along the way and especially exactly. madrid with the altitude and the the high bounce and players who can just serve serve their way out of jams and nadal who's usually a very great returner on clay um i think just struggled to get into the points where he could enforce his patterns in this in this quarterfinal match because just um you know having watched the the that 4-2 game and things like that i think the match could have played out a little bit differently i think he was a bit bummed that he didn't take that that chance there because he even said afterwards in his press conference i did a disaster right in his uh, <laughs> traditional rafa accent but not wrong um, either yeah and and so and and uh, and then he also mentioned the lamented himself for the missed chances that he had at the four all game where he was 30 love up and probably should have held serve there yeah and just a few mistakes where he just kind of he just kind of let his opponent um hitting the ball too short and just let his opponent uh, attack him and he wasn't and some passing shots that he was normally making in in other matches like off the backhand cross court and things like that i thought his backhand wasn't so great in the match he didn't do a whole lot of damage forehand either i mean yeah just six backhand, winners on just the match i think six winners and 17 17 unforced errors is it's not going to do it i think and um and so he just wasn't strong enough there but i did notice one positive is that he won all the longer rallies uh, majority right. of them there were about 14 in the match and some some and a few of them where he was able to enforce his patterns get a little bit more um mix up his changes of height and because he wasn't getting a lot of depth so in other in a, the other ways the only other ways he could have win could win those points when you're playing an elite player like he was was to you know mix in and throw in some variety and throw in some some different looks some uh, really high ball and then a, a low ball off the backhand maybe force his opponent to hit maybe he hits a backhand slice of his own and then he forces openings so he can get down the line forehands but it's really tough because um pl- players that he places nowadays are a lot taller and i think they can handle and in these conditions like this those topspin balls as the, if they're not deep enough are not going to bother his opponent and so i think he wasn't able to get himself enough in those long rallies to enforce that that style of play that normally works for him because his opponent was winning all the rallies under four shots or between five and nine shots and that's typically not what you want to see if you're Nadal. Yeah, I agree and I think also winning um sorry, I think it was uncharacteristic of him to lose the 4-2 game, but not only that, yeah. but for him to have such a long mental hangover after that. I think he usually even when he misses chances recovers quite quickly, but I think it was optimistic for him that he won most of the long rallies like you said and in rome and in paris there are going to be more of those those will be more of a factor in the match so i think that's a part of his game that he would want to be working so yeah i think like don't ring the alarm bells for him just yet or probably at all yeah to- totally agree and i think he'll, he'll he-, he even said afterwards which is a bit uh I don't want to say completely out of character for him, but he normally is a guy who says, okay, I, I only look past the next opponent that I'm playing and I go round by round. But he did say after his match that he's looking to looking to win Rome. Like he 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 wants to really win it and prove himself again. And I think when we get to the Rome draw, we'll talk about it. He has uh, plenty of chance to do that and, and he has quite a tough draw there. And so it'll be really interesting to see if how, how much he can round into farm. It really doesn't matter if he loses in the quarterfinals again for the fourth time in a row in a clay court masters right. 1000 it doesn't change my opinion for what what how he will play at roland garros best of five shot a completely different story so yeah that's kind of where i stand on stand on rafa um yeah. the other player was the number two seed uh before we quickly move on to the women's um one other thing was medvedev got in two matches he finally won a match that's on right and he he um, gave <laughs> us some highlights on the court <laughs> both on and off the court obviously coming back from covid um, you know, obviously 
really making making himself uh, really lowering expectations, playing some mind games at times, and basically saying, "Look, I mean, I I just don't like Clay at all. Like, <laughs> like I, I don't expect much from myself here. I just want to win one match everywhere I go." Mm-hmm. And uh, and and he did. He credit to him. He won his first match against Davidovich Fukina, who's no slouch on the surface. Right. But he gave us some entertaining moments where he hit his racket with. Um, <laughs> He hit the surface, and then the umpire's like, what are you doing? You're going to damage the surface. It's like, yo, it's already it's damaged. It's already damaged, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was just so funny. Yeah, I mean, you, you said highlights, honestly. I think lowlights <laughs> may be the word. I mean, he he did win one match, but he's he's the world number two. You've, you, oh my gosh, I know he doesn't like Clay, but I feel like this attitude towards it where he just says he doesn't like it and he owns that and yells about it. I think that's hurting him. And I think that (laughs) it's lowering his expectations in a bad way. I think tactically he should really lean into his consistency because he is so consistent Mm -hmm. off both wings and he shouldn't try to finish points as much. He should just be consistent and sort of frustrate his opponents with what is frustrating him right now. Like get a lot of balls back neutralize rallies and then just wait for an opening or one two punch off the serve and be offensive that way because i saw him against uh uh, he he lost to giron right he lost to yeah christian garin oh garin right right sorry um yeah and he he won the second set tie break and then just uh and then he got a little bit went away went away in the third and your point holds because he was uh really pressed and trying to go for winners right off the bat and just trying to finish points off and not really outlasting his opponent in those long grueling physical rallies that he is able to do i mean he exactly when he when he got to the semis in monte carlo in 2019 i mean he outlasted sipas and djokovic in third set battles um from the baseline and so he might be selling himself short a little bit on this i think he is yeah i remember one rally in the match he lost in particular from the third set where he hit a couple nice down the line shots but gutting was defending really well got them back and then medvedev rushed and sort of just wildly missed a forehand and i think he should just embrace it if his opponent gets the rally back to neutral, make it more physical, wait for the opening again, be content just to rally. Don't rush. That's not his game. His forehand isn't a great finishing shot. So, you know, I think he should just do what he does on hard courts, but let the clay accentuate that part of his game, get into the physical matches. And he needs to embrace it. If he keeps rejecting the clay and saying how much it annoys him, I think that will just slow down his improvement on the surface. And he did technically meet his goal of winning one match at this tournament, so we will see how he does yeah. in Rome. <laughs> it is kind of crazy that as the two seed, we will technically have a Medvedev half of the draw, which seems so ridiculous on clay. <laughs> Yeah, because obviously as Rafa lost, he's now going to be, he's now guaranteed to be the number two seed with the way the ranking protections and confusion with all yeah. of that goes. But, uh, but yeah, well, well, I mean, he's guaranteed to be third for Roland Garros now, right? So he could get Djokovic in the semis. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or um, because uh, Rafa can no longer get back to number two. Yes. Yes, exactly. In time That's... for the French Open. Yeah. I was talking about so, Rafa there. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so Rafa would be number three. And so we could potentially get a Djokovic, uh, uh, Rafa semifinal. Yeah, but, I, I remember a pretty good one in 2013. That'd be nice. Yeah, so so we we have a good track record of of, of that. If that's anything to go by, but yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much else from the from the men's side. It was nice to see um, just so many next gen players just doing well on clay because I think um, nowadays to be good on the surface, you need more than just be a quote unquote grinder. You yeah. need to really have power from the ba- from the baseline. You need to really be an elite mover. You need to really also play with variety you need uh, just so many multiple ingredients it's not enough to 
just get a bunch of balls back and outlast your opponent anymore. I think you really need to be able to finish points off and have that big weapon and hit through the clay. And I think the players that are able to do that are the ones that really succeed. And it takes elite fitness, elite training, and the standard is high now. I mean, you see players hit so big off both wings and serve so huge, but also um, that's why I think these these uh, lead-ups do tell us quite a bit of information. Aside from Rafa, I think we do get a good standpoint of where players are heading into Roland Garros. Yes, I totally agree. I think Rafa is just sort of exempt from all of these predictions in the lead-up. And yeah, I think I think each t- tournament will tell us more about team and Tsitsipas and Djokovic once he comes back in Rome. Belgrade, too, I don't put a lot of stock in. But yeah, it's yeah. it's just interesting to go from tournament to tournament until it all culminates with Roland Garros because the clay season is such a structured lead-up. Yeah. And that just lets you evaluate who the favorites are. Um, should we move absolutely. on to uh, WCA? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was wondering, actually, if just before that, uh, we can look at some popcorn matches for Rome on the ATP side. Oh, sure, yeah. And, we and, can, and then we can do WCA Madrid and then breakdown of that draw as well. Yeah, sounds good. So, I mean, if we look at just uh, the Rome draw here, immediately what jumps out is uh, I feel like both the top half and the bottom half really have... Um, like Djokovic and Nadal really don't have it easy this tournament, do they? No, it looks like uh, Djokovic may well get Evans in the second round. Yeah, Evans or Taylor Fritz. Um, and the first, obviously, um, you know, Evans probably the favorite in that one, but it but it could go either way. But I still think, yeah, if we get Evans, Djokovic, that that is that's right away. That's such a good thing because yeah, it, it'll as it, immediately as it tell us if the Monte Carlo match was a one off or if Djokovic is actually having serious issues on the clay. Exactly, yeah. And then potentially he could get Davidovich Fokina is not easy for Dimitrov. Wow. Okay. No, I, was, I, I was originally because before when I looked at this, the qualifiers were not updated. But mm-hmm. now, um, you, know, you know, now they are. And Davidovich Fokina qualifying is not good signs for Dimitrov no, in that it's first not. match. I, I was going so, to say we could get a fourth rounder with uh, Djokovic and Dimitrov, but Grigor is going to have to play some good tennis to get there. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, pretty brutal for Berrettini to, you know, right away play his yeah, that, first that's match. Yeah, that's a tough I think one. Sunday against uh, Bazilashvili, who's won two titles already this year. Yeah. I think uh, Chilich Bublik is an interesting first-rounder as well. Yeah, absolutely. And Yeah, I mean, Tsitsipas, if he wants to get to the quarters to face Djokovic, he's going to have to beat either Chilich or Bublik. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Bublik is always unpredictable and interesting. He beat uh, Karatsev this, the, this past week. Yeah, um, which so is a great was, one. Uh, that was a great win. And yeah, Chilich, obviously not in great form, but... Uh, that could go either way. And then Berrettini possibly in the fourth round. Um, but yeah, Berrettini coming off this week. You know, I, I would really love to see Djokovic play these one-handed backhand players on clay. Because I, I think... Too, because he's struggled it, a lot with them in the past. Yeah, I mean, his Achilles heel is really lefties and one-handers on clay because lef- the one-handers make him generate all the pace. And then the lefties make him really... Uh, really, there's a... The, there's a power differential that sometimes appears. Obviously, you know, Rafa I mean, the, Nadal. The lefty is really is, just Nadal. Which it's, is really just, it's really just Rafa. Yeah. But, uh, but I think the it's a good test for him power-wise to play the one-handers. I agree, um, yeah. And and I really like that Team and Djokovic are in the same half here. I'm, yeah. Uh, what you just said about playing one-handers is making me think back to the 2019 Roland Garros semi between Team and Djokovic. And um, I don't know if you remember that match point. I talk about it a lot because I think it's such a good point. But yeah. uh, team, team carves this really good backhand slice cross-court 
And it sort of highlights one of Djokovic's weaknesses on clay, which is that he can't generate that much pace off a slice off his backhand. And so he sort of hits a little bit of a no-pace ball cross-court, and team just pounces on it with a huge inside-in forehand winner. And so I think it's going to be yeah, interesting and- to see how he'll do against uh, Tsitsipas and or team. Yeah, absolutely. And even against Evans, he's gonna if Evans gets through, he's gonna have to find a way to either come yeah. to the net, uh, play ultra aggressive with his forehand, and just uh, try to different way to navigate that pattern. Maybe take more balls earlier down the line because he has the tools to to deal with it. It's just a matter of I think confidence. And Monte Carlo, obviously, a little bit of an outlier. He looked off balance to me in that match. Yeah, forehand wasn't just, penetrating just, through the court. A little bit out of sorts, and I think so. So I think definitely he'll be looking to get revenge, and it's very rare that a player beats uh, Djokovic twice. Yeah, I, so, I don't expect Evans to win that one if he does get through for it. So, yeah. Um, otherwise, there'll be plenty of memes on on that. If Evans were to win the two zero, it'd be like Nick Kyrgios two zero, huh? Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he joined some pretty exalted company there, huh? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But then, but I really hope we do get to see Djokovic Tsitsipas in the quarters. Um, that, that would, I'd love that. Yeah. I'd love that. And then obviously you look at team section. I mean, that's pretty tricky right off the bat. I mean, Fuksovic, yeah, that's that's quite tough. But I think yeah, uh, team, be physical. if he plays plays the way he has been this week, um, this seems like a manageable draw to me. I mean, Monfils is not really in form, hasn't been playing many, many matches. Um, and he could potentially play Demonor again, who he just got a taste of this week. So Yeah, and I think in Rome, it's going to be even harder for Demonor to get winners or any offense, so... So yeah, I'd absolutely. expect that to be less close than this match was. Yeah, and then and then he'll have a good test with either RBA or Rublev. Man, it always seems like RBA and Rublev are in the same quarter every time. Yeah, I mean, give us more matches between those two because those are lots of fun. And yeah, I think yeah. I think if team can get to that quarter, whoever his opponent is between those two will be a great test. Yeah, for and obviously semifinal. can't underestimate Christian Garin either because he's True. won five titles on the clay and he's he loves this surface. I think he can truly call him more of a clay court specialist than you can some other players. Yeah, I think you but could also call him a, the clay court artist slayer now. Yeah, because that's just a name that seems to just go to everybody now. Yeah, <laughs> fair point. <laughs> yeah, I think this round, this match is making me interested in Schwartzman against Felix because I think uh, Diego actually plays really well in Rome. I mean, he made the semis in yeah. 2019 and pushed Djokovic really hard there. Yeah, and then he beat Rafa. There so I think if he, you know, right away against Felix, that's uh, not easy for Felix. Uh, but also, I don't think it's the easiest match for Diego. So that'll be a right. good test. Yeah, if Felix wins that. That'll be a great one for him. Like maybe even one of his best of the year. And and yeah, that'll be a good test for Diego right away as well. Yeah, and then I think uh, last lastly we got to mention Nadal's quarter uh, before yeah. we move on to the WTA. Um, I'd say really good <laughs> crack at him again. The draw guys are trying to get Sinner they're trying Nadal to give us Nadal scenario. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully we got it I this mean, time. Hopefully we get it. Uh, Hugo Ambert is, is great, but I think he's better on the faster courts. So I yeah. think um, I think Sinner, if he's over his pollen allergy that he was having in Madrid, mm-hmm. where he lost to Alexi Popperin, I don't think. Uh, I think that was more of a one-off bad loss for Sinner. I mean, it's not even really that bad of a loss if you think about the Madrid conditions and Popperin's effective game there. But yeah, Popperin. But, uh, but so yeah, and so uh, Nadal Sinner would be really nice to get. Yeah, uh, and then, Nishi Corey Fonini is a big popcorn match. Oh wow, I didn't even see that. Yeah, yeah. That's, that that'll be something for the Italian crowd. A couple that, pretty it, backhands there. Yeah, that'd be that'd be great. Two players who just time the ball so well and have great backhands. 
Yeah, um, th- that match could be like an absolute spectacle if they're both playing well, but it could also be a complete dud. And I really hope it's the former. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, uh, yeah. And then, I mean, Shapovalov after that would be so interesting if he, I, I really hope Shapovalov gets there. We get to see Shapovalov Nadal again. Well, on uh, clay, be, I don't know. I feel like that might be a massacre. I do, but I think it would be good for Dennis to get a... That's that's true, yeah. To get would, that lesson. Because everybody wants that lesson from Rafa. I mean, it, you know it's coming. You know you're not going to win anything. That's true. And I feel like it didn't help Seppi Korda last year, who was uh, yeah, so, much improved this year. So maybe it'll do the same for Dennis. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, if Rafa has to play Sinner and then potentially uh, Chapeau, uh, because... I mean, pair, if you have pair in your section, I mean, that's a good draw for <laughs> that's a good draw yeah. <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> Which is why I think actually that hurt Sitsipas last week because he had to play pair right off the first round. And mm-hmm. pair is not a guy who gives you any rhythm whatsoever. Then, yes, then you have to go true. from playing pair to playing a guy like Casper Rude, who's so disciplined and uh, such has such good footwork and stuff. And that's, uh, yeah, that jump from pair to <laughs> Rude is it's not easy for anybody. Yeah, there aren't many bigger jumps out there, I would say, in terms of intensity. So, so yeah, yeah I think you're right. But I think if Nadal can play the players that have the firepower to test him, like Sinner, like um, Sinner gave him a good match in the quarters of Roland Garros, where he served for it in the first set. Yeah. So if we get a rematch of that, and then Chapo, and then he gets another crack at um, the guy who won this week in Madrid, Zverev, yeah. and then, yeah, and then I mean, yeah, and then from there on, I think, um, yeah, it again, Rafa, we've already said about him for, I, I think we'll I'll be looking at this whole draw in, in its entirety. I actually, where's Medvedev in this? Uh, Medvedev's in Schwartzman's section. Oh yeah. 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 He's in the middle section. So oh, wait, um, he could get Karatsev. He could play Karatsev. Oh my gosh. I didn't even see that. Oh he yeah. Would de- he would definitely lose. That. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Karatsev in Madrid, I thought would be more, um, if they played in Madrid, that would be like, I'd give a edge to Karatsev big time. Um, assuming Karatsev gets through Kachmanovic, yeah, he'll play Medvedev. That'll be so interesting. I really yeah. just, the, the, I hope for a three-set that, That's going to be a must-watch just to see how both of them are playing. I, I give a solid edge to Karatsev there, but yeah. I think if, so. if Medvedev yeah, could on, win that, maybe that would jolt him into some more positivity. We'll see. Based on recent form, and I think Medvedev will, will get Medvedev going just enough. He's, he's going to still continue to play down his chances, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's going to be a common theme, unfortunately. For some, unfortunately for others, but I think it'll be uh, he he won't want to lose to his countrymen for sure. So that's true. Yeah, so it, that that could be very interesting. And yeah, yeah um, I mean, l- l- let's just do this quickly, so then we can move on. But um, final picks and then champion. Well, this is always so hard at the beginning of the week, but I'm going to say that um, we get a team and Sitsipas semifinal. Okay. And we get a. I actually do. I always go with Nadal every week, yeah. just because it's Nadal. But I, I, I do genuinely think you know, with his with the French Open coming up and Rome, he won in twenty nineteen as well. And yeah. I think in twenty twenty was a bit of an outlier because that was the only tournament before the season, before the French Open, and he hadn't played in seven months. Yeah, I think the but conditions think, favored Schwartzman there as well. Yeah, and look, I mean, he could very well lose again, and it wouldn't shouldn't surprise anybody if he does Nadal, but I still have him in my semis um, this time. And I think, uh, I think, gee, it's so hard to pick between like Schwartzman and 
I feel like I've been picking Schwartzman, but he keeps running up against players who are hot and then they take him out early and then they exactly, actually end yeah. up like getting to the should be the favorite in the section but i could just see him losing to so many people as well yeah and and so that makes it tricky and, I, and then medvedev um that karatsev match is scary for me in the first round so yeah i mean i, I, I think for me karatsev yeah. is the more likely semi-finalist than medvedev yeah i i could see karatsev getting to the semis here i could see mm-hmm. that so i'll, I'll go with karatsev Nadal in okay. the semis that'd be a fun match we haven't seen that yet and I think Sitsipas could have just enough in three out of in two out of three sets right now to take out Djokovic in the quarters. So right. I'll go with I'll go with that. And I think we'll get an absolute blockbuster between team and Sitsipas. I'd love and that. hopefully hopefully that'll make this tournament great because two of those two one handers and they have a good rivalry, I think, as well, because they played an ATP finals final. Yeah. And, and yeah, last year at the ATP finals as well. Yeah. And so so I have them meeting, um, and then and then between them, it's really it really gets down to who is that uh, Roland Garros favorite, like one of those Roland Garros favorites after Rafa. So yeah, that'll be a big test. I test for both, and uh, yeah, um, I'm not sure who wins that. <laughs> to right. be fair, completely honest, but I'll I'll I'll, I'll say um, I'll say team gets to his first ever Rome final, and we get a team Nadal final. And then I think uh, the physicality of that Tsitsipas team match might just wear on team a little bit. And um, I think uh, Rafa will be looking for a statement win in the final like he had in 2019 over Djokovic. And I think he'll win over team. Those are some good picks. I think I'm going to go slightly against the grain here. I'm going to say the top half unfolds like you were saying. I think team is going to beat Rublev in the quarters and then Tsitsipas in... No, actually, I'm going to say he beats Djokovic in the semis. And then after that, I think on the bottom half, we get Nadal Schwartzman in the semis. Nadal wins, team wins. And then I'm going to say team beats Djokovic and Nadal to win this one. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 